0: But just exactly what should a servant of God look like? We'll find out next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, this is Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor Phil Howard. He returns us to the book of 1 Corinthians. Our message today is simply entitled, The Profile of a Servant of God. You ever wonder what a servant is to look like? Well, today's broadcast gives us a clear picture. With this edition of Truth For Today now, here's Pastor Phil Howard. Well, we come to the
1: uh, conclusion in this first section of this book, in which Paul is not only defending the message of the cross, but he is uh, defending himself against those who are splicing the church up into factions and dividing the church and one of their main factions is they're against paul and his authority so they've created other parties other leaders and that's a great way to split up the church and get their mind off of paul and his message and so he's wrapping up in chapter four uh his argument defending his message and defending that he truly was god's messenger uh, the way I would break down this chapter would be that the first five verses says uh, how he responds to his critics. Uh, I must say this; uh, it's an interesting thing. The most popular verse, popular most popular verse quoted in the Bible today is this verse: "Judge not, that you be not judged." That's more. And yet, we've got to balance this matter of criticism. Because in chapter 5, he's going to tell us we should make judgment. Chapter 6, we ought to judge. We don't go to judicial courts. We can settle differences in the church. So there's a good side and a bad side of criticism. Uh, Criticism that is just picky and accusatory and impugns motives. Wrong, wrong. On the other hand, we're... Constantly being called upon to discern things. Are they right? Are they wrong? Is this proper? So it's a two-edged sword. But Paul says, go ahead and criticize me. Uh, my life is governed by a greater judge than you. I'm living before an audience of one. Then he picks up in verses 5, or rather 6 through 7, he applies this, uh, uh, these critics out there to uh, they become conceited critics and they're acting uh, as though they're in charge, as though they know more than the man who led them to the Lord. And he raises the question. I've applied this to myself and Apollos. We don't think more of ourselves than what Scripture says, and we think of ourselves as servants of God and stewards of God's mysteries. We're not above you. We don't think we're better. We're just servants of God. But you conceited critics are telling us we're messed up on our message. You like philosophy more than the gospel. You like Athens more than you like Golgotha and Jerusalem and you like Socrates more than you like me because I appeared so weak and unattractive to you but I was the messenger of God that led you to the Lord and so he's saying what do you have that has made you so puffed up you act like uh, you're self-made people and that is a joke there's no self-made people where did you get your brains some of us have doubts about if you got any but where did you get the ones you've got? You didn't get to pick your parents. And Rich has some line that he used to say that to his dad. And he said, and thank God we didn't get to pick you. We're just stuck. Something like that. He's smart and awful. I didn't get to pick you. Well, I didn't get to pick you. I'm just stuck. Something like that. Uh, where did you get your genes? Where did, see, it, it's so foolish. Where did... Who, who gave you the right to be born where you can get an education? What, what makes you so good that you've got running water and you could drink water that doesn't give you dysentery and amoebic dysentery and kill you? Well, what makes you so much better than other human beings? You proud scoundrel you? And he's taking on their conceit and pride. They're boasting. They're the arrogant authority. So he's responding to them Apollos and I know we're but servants. We're within the boundaries of Scripture. But you guys are proud as though you're self-made. You inherently knew the gospel. When I found you, you were lost. You didn't know God. And now you've become these self-made authorities that wants to straighten out an apostle of all people. Pride always feeds on comparisons. And that's why it loves party spirit. It loves factions. C.S. Lewis says, You seldom have pride where you don't have comparisons. Uh, You see, you're never contented to be good. You always want to be better. You know, it's like, it's sometimes disastrous to visit a good friend that has more than you. You were contented until you saw their new house. And, and, you know, uh, even, you know, us preachers go through it. uh, God, you know, we have an apostolic touch on our life. And Bozo over here is running 200 more than us. It, It doesn't make sense. Have you heard him preach, Lord? I wouldn't walk across the street to get his album. And his wife is a little ugly. And then you come over here, and you're barely running 35 And and as that one guy said, you're having the best church you ever had. It's going down slower than any other church you've pastored. And and we get in this all the time. I'm content until I see somebody that's got more. I'm content with my car until I see yours. I'm content with my kids until I realize all your kids have PhDs or doctors and are going to the moon. And my kids, I just cry if they pass their eye test. You know what I mean? And so he's saying, pride, pride feeds on, I'm not just as good as you, I'm better. See, I'm better. So you got the birth of racism, soberism, uh, the economic class, rich, poor, uh, educated, uneducated. It goes on and on. It never ends. So he says, this pride, this, where did you get this puffed up attitude? Uh, I thought you were going to hell when I met you. I thought you were lost people and now you've become critical authorities even of me and Apollos and then he uh, will settle down and pick up and we have these notes in here don't let me find any in the bathroom trash cans five bucks for everyone on you we're going to track you down I have a a secret uh, ink in here with your fingerprints Uh, and we do this to help you if there's no help Let's don't waste the paper. Uh, What I'm going to be doing, by the way, when we come to to 1 Corinthians 5 through 7, I want to try to design the service where we're maybe 30 minutes up front singing. And I'm going to design Q&As because we're going to be dealing with church discipline, what to do with sex what to do with people living in sin. And we're going to have Q&A at the end because uh, I want you to be able, we'll set it up where you could write in a question and deal with those things about these verses you don't understand. I don't want to just unload it on you. I'm willing to box with you and tell you what the Bible says about it. So we'll be doing that as we come to chapter 5. But we're wrapping up this. Notice what he says. He compares himself, his credentials, uh, to his critics. And he picks up verse 8 through 13, some of the most humbling passages uh, in the Bible. uh, That these people are acting like they're already reigning. They've got it all. Their pride says, We've already got it, we've arrived. There's no more you can add to us. And Paul says, that's really interesting. I'm over here in warfare. And you're over here and complaining that the mall doesn't have the right kind of temperature. I'm over here in Iraq and Afghanistan fighting Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. And you're over here squawking that the mall parking was too crowded. What keeps this country free is not shoppers at malls but guys that put on uniforms and risk their life to fight the enemy. And here Paul says, I'm wearing the uniform, and my critics are hanging out at the mall complaining about the service isn't good enough. Watch what he does. Already you have all you want. Now sarcasm is reeking in him. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and it really is the word. You have become rulers. You're already ruling, like in the reign of Christ. And that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might rule with you. This contrast, just follow it. Uh, You have all you want. You're already rich. You're already reigning. Wow. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. You're over here acting like you're in the millennial reign of Christ. You act like you've already got everything he promised for the future And I'm over here running with a group of men that we feel like we're at the end of a triumphal march of a general coming into Rome down the Appian Way. And what they did, the leader of the war, the general and his key officers behind him and the foot soldiers, and at the end, at the end, were people usually in chains, the people that would wind up in the arena either put against the gladiators or they would be put out there. They would often tie animal skins on them and unleash lions. So we're back here. We're at the end of the triumph. At the end of the march, we're headed for martyrdom. We're headed for the arena. We've been captured by Christ and willing to die for Christ. And you guys are over here reigning and telling us, we ought to do our ministry different. You're basking in comfort. We're struggling and suffering. He goes on. We are fools for Christ. I forgot we have been made a spectacle. The word is theater. We're the play. We're we're being a, a spectacle or a play before the whole universe Before angels and men, they're watching us. We're the display. And when they see us, they see fools for Christ. What made him a fool for Christ? He preached the foolishness of a crucified Messiah. He preached the foolishness to Athens. You cannot have a criminal die in the place of men and that be attractive. When will you get more philosophical, Paul? When will you catch up on the latest uh, Socratic method? And the latest thing Plato said. He said, I didn't come to preach Plato or Socrates or philosophy or psychology. I came to preach a crucified Christ. That's what saved you, not philosophy. And I look like a fool and a moron. And I accept that reproach because the message itself makes us look like idiots. Are you ashamed of the gospel, he could say. In this marketplace we are today, uh, we're here in the church and we can talk to one another and feel comfortable. But, you know, as I talk to different brothers and sisters in the church, in their workplace, if they work in certain uh, settings to be uh, someone that believes in family values, morals, sexes for marriage, uh, and if you've got any convictions about anything, you are totally politically incorrect you will be put to the sideline, get out of the way, catch on, get sophisticated. We don't want you. We don't want the cross. We've even had people write us, take these crosses down. We're offended by them. They don't like them. They say it's right in their face. As we go on to Highway 4, take down the crosses. And there's much of church philosophy out there that says... Take away everything that will offend a visitor. There's many churches got rid of Bibles. Get rid of the blood song for sure. I don't think we get rid of it. I think we tell you what it means. We want to tell you what it means. And we don't make fun of your ignorance so that if you bring your family, your friends, neighbors, we deserve to tell you what the language means. And, And we should not have church to bash sinners. I don't believe that. If you're a homosexual if you're an adulterer if you're a thief you're welcome you're just in sin and you need christ and we'll love you in the meantime but we don't have to apologize and bash you we're not in the bashing business christ said i already found you condemned i don't have to waste much time on getting you condemned it's getting you saved is the hard work so we don't want church to be, I will hope he bachelors our latest politician. Oh, you'll do that at the polls. I don't need to do a sermon on it. Right? He said, we're fools because we identify with a foolish God if you consider the cross foolish. But you guys are so wise and sophisticated. You, you, you guys have the swagger. You probably are running for office. We are weak, but you are strong. What a contrast. I own the weakness of the apostolic preaching of the cross and my role. I accept it, but you guys are so strong. Uh, You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. It literally means scantily dressed, even naked. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we kindly answer. Up to this moment, we've become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. It's kind of interesting. I, I wanted to get the difference there. Uh, the first one, the scum, uh, it means that which is removed with thorough cleaning, like doing the dishes. You know, I think of a dried egg yolk. Uh, I'm just the dried egg yolk. That's what I want to get him under the water quick. I don't want to get hard. He said we're just that, and the other one means to scour, like with a, a SOS pad, a pan, all that's remaining in that pan. We're we're just what you throw out in the garbage. We, we know we're in the garbage heap of human worth and status. But it sure is terrible when the people we led to Christ look on us that way. He's taking on church people's attitude. And uh, I think something we need to be aware of is I read Gordon Fee in this section and D.A. Carson. They said, what's alarming about it is that the present-day church in the West looks a lot more like the Corinthians than it does like Paul. We're in love with comfort. We've got more than any other civilized country, the average man. And uh, we're just set up to be Laodicean. We're bragging on our buildings, uh, what we make in hour, our portfolio, our money, our dress, Are educated. We're very impressed with ourselves, and I really don't know if I could get you to come out to an evening service. If I was going to put on a man like the Apostle Paul, I don't think you'd come. He's just—he's just too embarrassing. Come on, you want some guy that's not dressed sharp? You want a guy that? still has wounds from him for preaching and you say, well, I love the Bible just like you. Wait, 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 wait. you love it how much? As long as it's comfortable. As long as it's easy. How far would the gospel get if it depended on you? I um, found a poem that, by the way, I don't like anything about this message. It's too convicting to me. So uh, I read a poem written by Amy Carmichael, missionary to India. She says, from prayer that ask that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee. From fearing when I, should, when I should, from faltering when I should climb higher. From silken self, O captain, free. Thy soldier who would follow thee. From subtle love of softening things. From easy choices, weakenings. Not thus are spirits fortified. Not this way. With the crucified From all that dims thy calvary O Lamb of God, deliver me Give me the love that leads the way The faith that nothing can dismay The hope no disappointments tire The passion that will burn like fire Let me not sink to be a clod Make me thy fuel, flame of God let me read another one of her famous poems. That she writes, Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer's spent? Lean me against a tree to die and rent By ravening beasts that can pass me I swooned, hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar Yet as the master shall the servant be And pierced are the feet that follow me But thine are whole Can he have followed far Who has no wound or scar one of the hardest things to do is to stay saved and live in the West. To keep a burning heart in the midst of so much prosperity and love of ease. It's really, probably, so many American pulpits are so artificial because we've taught ministry should not be hard, suffering is out of the vocabulary talking with a pastor the other day, is all he's hearing about is benefit packages, how much I'm worth, how much I deserve, how much, how much, how much, how much. And seldom does anyone find anyone in the West that paid any kind of price to be in ministry. They just want a comfortable, easy, discover my great gifts, but don't expect any wounds, any scars. And God forbid the people would. They're too busy being critical of the servants of God to ever give up any comfort themselves. So the two-thirds world is sending missionaries to us. D.A. Carson writes, I think, insightfully, Paul is not so naive as to think every Christian should ideally suffer the same amount. He said, God has set forth as apostles, as special sufferers. In fact, in one passage, he testifies to his willingness to take on a disproportionate share of sufferings so that others might be relieved. But what is at stake for Paul is a fundamental stance, a way of looking at things. We may summarize it, and this is Carson with three points. Number one, we follow a crucified Price.
0: truth for today that we might live in truth tomorrow. Thank you for joining us. Our teacher and pastor has been Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. And on today's broadcast of Truth for Today, we've spent time here in God's word that we might grow in his grace. If you'd like to review today's message, copies are available on CD for just $5. Mention today's date when you call 510-799-3171. 510-799-3171. You're welcome to visit our website. We have resource materials there at our online store, as well as information about us, who we are, what we believe, worship opportunities, and events here at the church. Valleybible.org is the website. Again, valleybible.org. And would you drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit. That would mean a great deal to us. Also, it encourages us when you call or write to us and let us know how the program encourages you in your walk and relationship with Christ. Please don't take for granted for a moment the significance of correspondence with us. It really does matter and it really does make a difference when you contact us and let us know how the program encourages you. Questions? Comments? prayer requests. We'd love to hear from you. Our desire is for you to grow in Christ, that we might be mutually encouraged in his grace. So again, the phone number is 510-799-3171. That's 510-799-3171. And the web address is valleybible.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., we're just off Highway 4, the church with the three crosses on the hill, about a quarter of a mile from the Highway 4 I-80 junction. You can't miss us. Directions can be had when you call us, again, 510-799-3171, or by visiting our website, valleybible.org. We thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. God bless.